Well, I can tell you what, I am really excited about today's message. You really? First time? I'm never excited, am I? Come on. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, in the world that we live in, there are many people who are not living their lives in freedom. They're burdened by all sorts of oppression. Perhaps you're burdened by some sort of oppression today. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fear. Could be guilt. Maybe you're held captive by the mistakes of your past. Or you're caught up in an unhealthy addiction. Could be something like pornography, alcoholism, gambling or drugs, or some other addiction that does not align with the truth of God's word. Maybe you're suffering from some sort of physical affliction that continues to plague you and it's stealing your joy. It's causing you to be weary. Perhaps the burdens that you're experiencing right now, maybe they're not of your own doing. Maybe they're a result of you being a victim from someone, hurt by someone. It could even be that you're holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness for something that someone said to you or that someone did to you. Or maybe it just could be that you haven't fully submitted your life to Jesus. You're holding out for some reason, but you recognize that something is missing in your life. And you feel incomplete. You feel unfulfilled. Now, regardless of what the oppression is and what specifically caused it, as Christ followers, we should be living in freedom. We should be walking in victory. Now, as we talked about last week, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. If you've fully submitted your life to him, and your faith is in our Lord and Savior, then you are complete in him. We lack nothing because we are united to the one who is the head over every ruler and every authority. Jesus is the King of glory. He is the Lord of glory. And he is the hope of glory. What we face in this life now is nothing compared to what we will one day become and experience when we see him face to face. There will be no more pain. There will be no more disappointment. No more busyness. No more striving. No more sin. We cannot lose sight of the hope that awaits us. Satan wants to steal that hope. He wants to steal our joy. He wants us feeling oppressed and worried and in fear. And he wants us busy with things that really don't matter. Because he's a liar. He's a distractor and he's a thief. But the one big thing that I want to drive home today is that he is also disarmed. And that's the title for today's message, Disarmed. Jesus disarmed him by what he did on the cross for you and for me. Our enemy is defeated. Which means Jesus has already won the spiritual battle for your soul. You and I can walk in freedom because of what Jesus has already done. We don't have to be burdened by the oppression that comes from our enemy. And today I'm going to share with you three essential truths right from God's word that prove that as Christ followers, we are free in Jesus. And because we're free in Jesus, we can live in victory no matter what we face. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here to fill our hearts. Remind us of who you are. 
Set us free from any burden that may be oppressing us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. That's going to be our text for today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them right here up on the shelf. You're welcome to borrow those, or you can follow along up on the screen. Either way, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Paul says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, and it was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Isn't that good? Man, there's so much packed in there. The first essential truth for today is that because we are complete in Jesus, we have complete salvation in Jesus. Now, to explain this this truth, Paul uses two metaphors in our text for today. He uses circumcision and baptism. Now listen to me, the main point of both of these metaphors is that you and I are totally and exclusively saved by a work of God, not by human effort of any kind. So verse 11, when Paul says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now if you look in the NIV translation, you'll see that in place of physical procedure, it actually reads, not performed by human hands. Clearly, the kind of circumcision that Paul is talking about here in our text is not a physical one. It's a spiritual circumcision. And the one who performs this operation in our lives is Jesus. This spiritual circumcision, it's a metaphor for what happens as part of our complete salvation when we come to Christ. Now, God instituted physical circumcision in Genesis chapter 17 as a physical sign of the Old Testament Abrahamic covenant. Every male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day. And this was to serve as a testimony of God's covenant relationship with the Jews. However, physical rituals like this one, they save no one. That's the mistake that many Jews made is thinking that physical rituals or strict adherence to God's laws were sufficient all by themselves for salvation. The Bible is clear, even in the Old Testament, that physical circumcision does not save anyone. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 and chapter 30 verse 6 both talk about a circumcision of the heart. Because that's what God is really after in our lives. He's after our hearts. Now, the New Testament, in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, makes this unmistakably clear. Paul says here, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. 
You see, Paul is not focusing on physical circumcision here. It's all about the condition of our hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can purify a heart and set it apart for God. Physical circumcision can never make a person right with God. No amount of following rules or rituals or laws can ever do that. A person's heart must change. And Paul calls that change a circumcision of the heart. So the circumcision that Paul is talking about in our text here in chapter 2, verse 11 of Colossians, it's a spiritual procedure. It's a circumcision of the heart. Here's what happens. is Jesus comes in at the moment that you accept and you believe in him, right? And you receive him into your life. He comes in and cuts away that sinful nature. And when he cuts that away, that means we are free. We're no longer bound. We're no longer slaves to our sinful nature anymore because Jesus has cut that out. And the best doctors in the world are unable to remove our sinful nature. No physical procedure can ever do this. So this idea of this sinful nature being cut out, it happens the moment that we receive Jesus into our life. Now, also at that precise moment, we're going to switch metaphors now. Paul's talked about circumcision. He's now going to talk about baptism. At that same moment, we are spiritually baptized into Jesus Christ. This is the baptism that Paul is talking about in verse 12 of our text. It's where we are united with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It says here in verse 12, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Right? Now let me illustrate this this way. Okay, on the left-hand side, you've got the gospel. We know the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It starts with Jesus up on the cross. He died for our sins. Then he was buried in a tomb for three days. On the third day, he rose from the grave. He defeated death, hell, and Satan, and everything that came against him. And now, death has no more dominion over him. You and I, when we accept Jesus into our life, we take on the likeness of Christ in that what he did, and this is, this is the picture of baptism over here. First is there's death to sin. All right, we repent. We turn away from sin. We have a change of mind. We now turn to God. When we do that, when we have this physical baptism, which is what this represents, right? When you go down under the water, that signifies you identifying with Jesus Christ in the death that he had because you're buried under the water. And then when you come up out of the water, that's the resurrection. Now you're to walk in newness of life. And just like Jesus, has no more, there's no more dominion over him. Death has no more dominion over him. Sin no longer has any dominion over you. Now, if that doesn't get it for you, Paul makes this really clear in Romans. So let's go through this. Paul says here in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. If any of you have ever been around when I've baptized people, some of you might remember, this is usually what I'll say. I'll say, I baptize you, my brother, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we go down, I'll say, buried with Christ, 
raised to walk in newness of life. That's where it comes from, right here, Romans chapter 6. And then, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And then in verse 10, For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul used two metaphors to make the point that we are saved completely and exclusively as a work of Jesus. Human effort of any kind has nothing to do with it. And it's interesting because so many of us want to explain salvation differently, as if we've got to earn it, as if there's something that you and I have to do to get it. And it's not it at all. That's what Paul is driving the point home here. It has nothing to do with you or I. It's all a work of Christ. So Paul first talked about a spiritual circumcision, which is a circumcision of your heart, where Jesus comes in as the moment you accept him, cuts that sinful nature out, and you're no, longer, you're no longer bound to it anymore. And then we can walk in victory. We're no longer slaves. And also at that precise moment is when we are spiritually baptized into Christ. We die to our sins, and we're buried with Christ in baptism, and we're given a new life to live now. And I want you to always, always remember, baptism, physical baptism, is simply an outward sign of the inward salvation experience that has already taken place. Physical baptism does not save you. It's not a requirement for you to be saved. It's not a requirement to go to heaven. It is something that we do out of obedience, but remember, it's a physical sign of the inward change that's already happened. Faith in Jesus is the only thing that saves you. Now, I could remember when I was going through discipleship many years ago, two of the verses that I had to memorize right off the bat came from the Navigator's topical memory system. Some of you have been exposed to that in our discipleship curriculum. You may even have seen the Wheel of Life. Anyone seen the Wheel of Life and seen the hub in the middle? What's the hub in the middle? Christ the center, right? So the two verses that go with that, number one is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Christ the sinner. All right? So our old lives are gone. We now have the new life. Right? Then there's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's all about our faith. Faith is what saves you. Now, I don't have time to get into this too deeply today, but the Word of God actually talks about salvation in three different tenses, past, present, and future. So there are some very fancy words for this. Anyone know what they are? These theological words for what I just said, these three tenses of salvation. Justification, glorification, sanctification. Okay? Justification is past tense. This refers to the moment that we made the decision to follow Jesus. And at that precise moment, we are redeemed, we are reconciled, 
and we, and we are forgiven, we're justified, and we're adopted. All by his grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone. That's justification. Then the future tense, which is glorification, this is you will be saved. It means that we're going to be resurrected into our new bodies. Who's ready for that? The resurrection, a new body. No more pain, no more suffering, none of that. We're going to receive an inheritance from God in heaven. Then we're going to spend eternity with Jesus forever. That's the future tense. That's that glorification. Now, the present tense is where you and I live right now today, is that we're being saved. We're in the process of being saved. That's sanctification. That means we're in the process of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that should empower us to grow our roots downward so that we can produce fruit upward. We've talked about that. But listen, no matter what kind of tense you're talking about when it comes to salvation, past, future, or present, our salvation in Jesus is perfect and is complete. So the first essential truth that we've talked about today is that we have complete salvation in Jesus. The second essential truth is that we have total forgiveness in Jesus. Total forgiveness. If we look back at our text in verse 13, you'll see this. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is one truth that Satan constantly attacks. He constantly reminds us of our past sins. He constantly barrages us with temptation after temptation to sin. And then when we fall into sin, he'll rub our nose in it. But the truth is, we have total forgiveness for our sins because of Jesus. Notice the word here says, he forgave all our sins. All of them. No matter how ashamed you may feel or how beat up you have become over your sin, Jesus will forgive them all when you receive him as your Lord and Savior. And just because your sinful nature has been cut away and you're no longer a slave to sin, it doesn't mean that you are immune to sin. All of us struggle. All of us sin. But we have an advocate in Jesus that when we do sin, we can come to him and repent and be restored. His word promises this. 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't try to hide our sin or excuse our sin or even rationalize our sin away. We must confess them. And when we do, he will forgive us our sins. Some of you may be here today and you have sin in your life right now. You have sin that needs dealt with. You need to repent. You need to get it under the blood of Jesus. He will forgive you. Listen, don't try to hold on to it or hide it. That's just our pride at work when we do that. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. So you know what you need to do? You need to do the opposite. Repent and be free. Forgiveness comes from Jesus. But perhaps what you're experiencing today is that you need healing from sin. Forgiveness is one thing, and that only comes from Jesus. But perhaps the devastating effects of sin have left you wounded. 
You're laying on the battlefield of life, wounded in action by sin, and you are in need of healing. Maybe that's you today. James chapter 5, verse 16. Listen, forgiveness comes from Jesus, but healing comes this way. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you need healing from some sin today, that's how to get it right there. Confess it to someone you trust and then ask them to pray for you. The prayer of intercession is so incredibly powerful. You know, I heard a tremendous testimony of this right here firsthand in that room on Tuesday night in discipleship. It was men's discipleship group and it was so amazing and so powerful. You don't have to lay there on the battlefield wounded by sin. Get healed and get back into the fight. God has given us the tools to walk in victory. We have total forgiveness in him. He nailed all the charges against us to the cross. And then he canceled all the record, the entire record of sins. It was a certificate of debt that you and I could never, ever repay. And Jesus wiped this debt out. He totally forgave it all by paying the debt, your debt, my debt, with his very own blood on the cross. We have total forgiveness in him. Do you understand the freedom that we have in Jesus? Total forgiveness. No matter what you've done, no matter how much the enemy has shamed you, no matter how much guilt that you're carrying around. Let me tell you, child of God, you have total forgiveness in Jesus. And that leads us to the third essential truth for today. We have absolute victory in Jesus. Satan wants you walking around in defeat. He wants to attack your faith. He wants you worried. He wants you stressed out and doubting your faith and fearful. But the fact is that as a child of God, you have absolute victory in Jesus. Paul tells us this very clearly in our text in verse 15. He says, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Because Jesus decisively and completely defeated Satan and all of his minions by his death on the cross, you and I can now walk in victory. We can walk in freedom from the oppression that our enemy tries to put on us. Remember, Satan is a liar. Don't buy into his lies, no matter how attractive they seem or how clever they are or how many other people in this world jump on that bandwagon. All of his lies are simply empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Know the word of God. Get into it. Study it every day. As a child of God, this is a non-negotiable. We must be in his word every day. His word is life. His word is truth. Know it. Live it. Feel it. Speak it. Listen, Satan is already defeated. As a child of God, he has no dominion over you. He has no power over you. And sin has no power over you either. Because we have absolute victory in Jesus. But I, I just have this question. Why are so many Christians who are living their lives right now are living without the victory that comes from Jesus? Why is that? Many of them look and they act just as defeated as the rest of the world too. 
The reason that I could come up with is because they've given Satan their power. Satan has no power over us except the power that we give him. Do you know that? Every time we sin, we give him power. Every time that we doubt, we give him power. Every time that we hold on to unforgiveness, we give him power. Stop giving him power, child of God. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, to not give the devil a foothold. That means we don't give him an inch. We don't give him anything. Every time you give him power, you are in effect giving him ammunition. Jesus has already disarmed him. Don't try to rearm him. Hear what I'm saying? He is a defeated and disarmed enemy. He may be able to point a gun at your head, but because of what Jesus has already done, there's no more ammunition in that gun. He is disarmed. So here's what we need to do. We need to kick him right in the teeth with the word of God. Kick him right in the teeth. The word of God is your weapon. Prayer is your weapon. Put on the armor of God so that you can fight. You know, this life is a constant battle. Although as followers of Christ, we know how this battle will ultimately end. We know we already have the absolute victory in Jesus. We know Satan is already defeated. But why do we live in the present as if we're already defeated? Put on the helmet of salvation so that you'll have the mind of Christ. Protect your mind from all the lies of the enemy. Hold up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish all the fiery arrows that the enemy is going to fling your way. Put on that breastplate of righteousness because you have right standing with God because of what Jesus has done for you. Put on that belt of truth. Put on those shoes of peace so that you'll be ready to share the gospel. You have all the armor and all the weapons you will ever need to resist the enemy. And that's the point. Resist him. The Bible says if you resist him, he will flee from you. You have the authority and you have the power as a child of God to resist the enemy and win. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Never, ever forget that. Now, I want to end today with some powerful promises that God has given us that you can claim in your life. You can speak these over your life. You can pray them back to God. You can shout them at our enemy. Here we go. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Are you feeling distant from God today? Like you're just going through the motions? Submit to him fully. Surrender to him. Resist the devil. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37 says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, For your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Did you hear that? Overwhelming victory. Not just victory. Overwhelming victory is ours. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
The strength to overcome any challenge that you're facing, any sin, any trial that you're going through, it comes from Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We can only win the battles in life with Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, it's a rough road out there, let me tell you. Jesus is the only way. Faith is what gives us victory. And if you're here today and you need more faith because your faith is weak or you're feeling weak, then you need more of God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Stand on the promises of God. That's what we've got to do. Stand on the promises of God. Now, I have this book here that I want to highlight. It's called Armed and Dangerous. Subtitle is The Ultimate Battle Plan for Targeting and Defeating the Enemy. It's by John Ramirez. Wonderful book. John Ramirez was a Satan worshiper for 25 years until he got radically saved by Jesus Christ. And what he does is he gives you the game plan of how the enemy operates, what, what he thinks, the kind of schemes that he comes at you with. He breaks it all down right here. And as a child of God, he tells you the power and the authority that you have. I'm just going to read a small excerpt from this. This ought to get you fired up, okay? The churches established by the apostles in first century Palestine started off on fire. 120 God-fearing people stepped out of the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem just two weeks after Jesus' ascension to heaven, but they had a secret weapon. They had just been touched and soaked by the Holy Spirit. Up till this time, the 120 had been hiding as marked men and women with bullseyes on their backs because they had decided to follow Jesus. But now, filled with the zeal and fire from the Holy Spirit, they took to the streets and were confronted by an angry mob filled with hate. The mob included the religious leaders, the very ones who had crucified Jesus. Yet they were not afraid to confront the devil face to face. They understood how to engage demonic opposition with the word of God. When 3,000 souls were added to the church in a single day, suddenly this powerful movement called Christianity was untouchable. Fast forward a few decades and already what started out as a pure, on-fire church had been infiltrated by the devil to water down the gospel and pull people from the truth of Jesus Christ. Today, we find ourselves in the same predicament, but a remnant is rising up. I love that word. But a remnant is rising up. The end-time church of Jesus Christ, that's the remnant. And I thank God with all my heart for that. This remnant is ready to take on the last spiritual warfare fight that we will ever see. I believe that many will be set free. People will be healed and delivered from demonic oppression. And every weapon in the devil's arsenal will be destroyed. Isn't that good? You guys need to read that book. So, we are the remnant. We are complete in Jesus. We have everything we need. We have complete salvation. We have total forgiveness. And we have absolute victory in Jesus. Let us live lives in the freedom that only Jesus gives. Our enemy is disarmed. And if you belong to Jesus, then you have all the power, all the authority that you'll ever need 
to defeat Satan and all of his minions. Amen. Now, what I'd like to do now is all of you that are sitting in these chairs, you should have in the back pocket in front of you, it's in the very back behind the, the envelopes, is an index card. I want you to take that index card out. If you don't have an index card handy, we've got some ushers that are going to come and help you, and they can give you an index card. And what I want you to do with this is I want you to write down anything that is causing you to be oppressed right now. Anything that's trying to steal your joy. It could be a sin that you're struggling with right now that's got you beat up and you know you need to confess it. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's a physical ailment of some kind that you're just tired of fighting, tired of battling. I don't know what it might be for you. It could be unforgiveness that you're holding in your heart for what someone did or said to you, whatever's happened to you. Whatever has got you feeling oppressed, write it down on this card. When you're done writing it on your card, fold it in half. And then what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you come forward. And I want you to stick it on the cross. We're going to tape all of these to the cross. And when we're done, I'm going to pray over them. All right? And I'd like to see breakthrough today. I'd like to see people set free today from whatever is causing them to feel oppressed. Because we can walk in victory because of what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to be silent. I'm going to let you think on it, pray on it, write on your card, fold them in half, come forward and put them on the cross. And these ushers will help you. They'll have tape for you. And we'll get it up there. Please don't hold anything back. Don't let the enemy keep you in your seat when you know you've got things you need to give to the Lord. Remember, the Word of God says that we are to cast all of our cares onto Him because He cares for us. Let us do that now.
Father, we humbly come before you right now. We ask for a move of God. We pray, Jesus, that you'd fill our hearts with the hope that we have in you because of what you did for us on the cross. Everything that's been taped to this cross, Lord, I pray right now that you'd answer these prayers, that you'd give hope, that you'd set people free from the oppression, from the burdens that they carry, from the sickness maybe that people are carrying. Lord, I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray for hope. I pray for victory in you, Lord, that we can go forth from this building and we can walk in victory and we can reach into the people's lives and speak the gospel and see the saving power of Jesus bring people to you. We pray, Lord, for that. We pray for a mighty move of God. Turn our hearts to you, Lord. So many distractions in the world that compete for our attention, that drive us in different ways and keep us busy. Lord, help us never to lose focus. You're what we're here for. We're here to glorify your name. I pray right now, Jesus, there be somebody in this room that has not fully submitted to you, that you just provoke their spirit. We know that no man can come unto the Father except the Spirit who draws them. And so I just ask right now, if you're here today and you need Jesus and you've never made that decision to fully follow Him, maybe you've made that decision, but you've backslidden and you've walked away. And today it's like, nope, I'm putting, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm saying, I'm following you, Jesus, today with all my heart. If that is you and you want salvation, you want freedom, then I just ask that you raise your hand and I will pray for you right now. Thank you. Thank you. You can pray this after me. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I recognize that you're the only one that can save me. And I put my complete faith, my complete hope, and my complete trust in you. Because of what you did on the cross for me. I now want to walk in victory. I want to be raised to walk in newness of life, as your word says. And I now will give you my heart from this day forward, and I will serve you every day of my life. You prayed that prayer. Welcome to the family of God. Others of you are here, and you've made a declaration of war to the enemy today by placing these things up on the cross. And so, Lord, we commit them to you. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for the forgiveness we have. Thank you for the complete salvation we have in you. We love you, Lord. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Be free. Walk in freedom. You need prayer today? You need someone to pray for you? Maybe you need healing? There'll be people up here to pray with you. I'm one of them. Janet could be another. Any of our leaders that you want to pray with, come forward. Receive prayer and be healed. Bless your day, bless your week.